This is the Registry Podcast. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Vladimir Bosanitz. Today's episode is an extra show. We recently hosted a webinar focused on the Silicon Valley market, where we invited a number of commercial brokers to talk about what they're seeing there and how the first half of the year will help us understand the second half. I think you'll find these conversations very informative. So enjoy the show as we hear from the top brokers, how the industry is faring midway through 2023. All right. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our mid-year uh, Silicon Valley Broker Forum. Uh, really appreciate everyone coming here uh, this morning. Um, we have a great uh, group here for us that will uh, give us an overview of all the things happening across Silicon Valley uh, through uh, you know, a number of the different commercial real estate markets. So um, I'm excited to hear what they have to say and um, you know, see how things are evolving here in the second half of uh, 2023. Um, before we get started, I do want to uh, say a few words and uh, thank our sponsors, uh, Alliance Roofing and Hopkins Carly. Um, Alliance Roofing Company is a leading commercial roofing and waterproofing company in Northern California. They are known for their innovative technologies and their commitment to the communities they serve. The company offers a comprehensive range of services related to Division 7 building envelope specifications. This includes below-grade waterproofing systems, podiums with pedestals and pavers, deck and traffic coatings, steep slope roofing with materials such as tile, slate, metal, and wood, as well as low-slope roofs, including single-ply, built-up, cool roofs, and living roofs. One notable feature of Alliance is their in-house metal fabrication shop located in Santa Clara, this allows them to install complete metal roofing systems, create custom metal flashings, and offer CAD assistance to their clients. Additionally, Alliance has a specialized service division that caters to the everyday needs of property owners and managers. They provide preventative roof maintenance, waterproof coatings, inspections, and 24-hour support for leaks and other roofing emergencies. So thank you, Alliance. Uh, you've been a great uh, supporter of this event for the last few years, and we really appreciate it. Um, for Hopkins and Carly, we have um, Lisa here, who will be also moderating the uh, conversation. But Lisa, I'll let you introduce yourself and say a few words about the firm. Thank you, Vlad. I'm Lisa Stalteri, and I'm a real estate attorney who's been practicing in Silicon Valley for over 30 years, doing purchases, sales, leasing, uh, development, financing. Um, Hopkins and Carly is a regional law firm. We have about 70 attorneys and we have offices in San Jose and Redwood Shores. Uh, we do all areas of commercial law and litigation, and we also have a very robust trust and estate practice. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, really appreciate it. And you guys also have sponsored this uh, event with us for, for a few years. So thank you for doing that. This has become sort of a little bit of a feature for us and you guys in the in the summer. So we really appreciate it. Um, so what I would also like us to do is uh, have our speakers say hello and introduce themselves. We'll go down the line on the on the screen here. Jeff, let's uh, start with you. Great. Thanks, Vlad, for inviting me again. Looking forward to the discussion. My name is Jeff Bad Stubner. I'm the regional retail lead for GLL here in Northern California. Looking forward to participating today. Thank you, Bart. 
Good morning, everyone. Bart Lamerson. I work mm -hmm. with JLL in the Silicon Valley and Peninsula office. Uh, as many of you, many of you know, we have one office that covers both. And excited to share some thoughts today. Thank you, Vlad. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, Adam. Well, good morning. My name is Adam Levin. I run the Levin Johnson team for Marcus Millichap. We're the leaders in multifamily in the Bay Area, and I'm happy to join today. Thank you. Wonderful, uh, Chip. Good morning, uh, Chip Sutherland uh, in the San Jose office of CBRE. I've been with uh, CB uh, focused on industrial and R and D for 35 years. Perfect. And last but not least, Andy. Uh, good morning. This is Andy Ziggleboim. Uh, I'm part of the College Capital Markets team here in Northern California, and uh, we're specializing in uh, representing sellers in the R&D office in industrial sector. Wonderful. Well, thank you all. So uh, just for our audience, what we're going to do here is um, have uh, the panel broken up instead of two groups. We'll have a um, uh, multifamily retail group speak first, and the rest of us will kind of close our um uh, cameras. Um, during the conversation, please feel free to post questions in the Q&A section below. I'll do my best to incorporate those into, into the conversation. Um, and then without further ado, Lisa, I'll, I'll let you kick us off here. Great. Thanks, Vlad. Um, Andy, we're going to go ahead and <clears throat> start with uh, multifamily. Can you give us a, a brief overview of the state of the market and also how are things shaping up in uh, Q2, Q3? Um, yes, again, so this is Adam um, Levin from Mark's Millichap. Uh, we are seeing um, the market's very interesting, you know, right now. Um, as most people on this call know, we had interest rates just come up incredibly fast. So that caused a lot of people to kind of sideline and rethink cap rates and you know, people tend to want positive, positive leverage. So with cap rates kind of across the board being in some cases in kind of core area um, below 4%. And then all of a sudden now we're seeing interest rates north of six. Um, definitely kind of the, the trend has been larger down payments or all cash buyers. Um, we're seeing a lot smaller deals going down. So um, some of the institutional players have, have been sidelining, kind of waiting to make their moves. Um, but overall, um, the fundamentals are still strong. Uh, we have low vacancy. Um, we, we have strong demand for, for rental units. And, you know, contrary to kind of what I call propaganda, them saying everyone's leaving the barrier overall, um, job creation and, and jobs overall are still strong. So we have strong employment, um, in the barrier. And, and because of that, Still, you know, high paying tenants and some in some situations, record high rents, um, in particular to San Jose, where we're seeing averages still over 3000, um, you know, for, for rental units. Great. And do you see a variation um, in uh, the various areas within Silicon Valley that um, the demand is, is strong throughout or, or are there pockets that are clearly stronger than others? Yeah, I mean, I think, I know, I think every city, you know, has has a little difference going on. Um, you know, the the kind of macroeconomics tend to focus on the big population cities like, say, San Jose, San Francisco. Um, we're still seeing a lot of strength in rent growth, particularly in the East Bay. Um, San Mateo County has been holding up very strong. Santa Clara County, for the most part, um, particular cities like Mountain View, where they have. Um, you know, different rent laws, kind of different um, changes that occur there from restrictions on development to restrictions on how much you can increase rent. So 
I think Mountain View's definitely been um, something that's taken a, a larger hit in relation to a price per door basis on so trying to sell it. But it's still a really strong product. So you obviously have Google there. So um, it's a good opportunity right now to potentially um, be buying some deals there as well. Lisa, I'm, I'm sorry if I can just interrupt really quickly. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, if you can hear me, you're supposed to be on this part of the panel as well. <laughs> so I'm sorry if I, that, that wasn't clear. Um, and I'll, uh, I got you. I'll chime in when there's something for retail. Absolutely. We'll let Adam run with it. Okay. Um, Adam, um, how, how about in investor profile? Is Are you seeing changes in 2023? Um, are there new entrants in the market? Um, you know, because there is such a prevalent cash buyer, we are seeing some foreign investors coming into the mix who are trying to place cash. Um, the institutional player who had sidelines um, and in, in some situations, you know, even got out of California because of operations reasoning. Um, we're seeing a lot of them coming back just because the fundamentals are so strong, particularly in Silicon Valley, getting back to the fact that there's very, um, you know, very low vacancy across the board. So. I've been having recent conversations with institutional and fund managers that are saying we really like, you know, the operations we're seeing in California, particularly Silicon Valley, so that they're coming back in the mix. Um, big players that own, you know, large portfolios, the individuals are, are active right now. I mean, a lot of them refied, you know, maybe last year have cash ready to um, deploy and, and they're making moves because there was quite a fast correction. And, and, you know, nobody has a crystal ball of exactly when it's the bottom. But right now, I think it's really good buying opportunities um, just based on, you know, the correction we saw on a price per door relatively fast. And are they looking for any particular type of uh, properties or products? That's a good question, Lisa. I mean, you know, I think still the add value play is, is something that, Many buyers look for something that has, you know, a good spread on going in cap to potentially the the sustained or stabilized cap. Um, so that's still very prevalent. People obviously look at how fast you can grow the rent. So how great the spread might be. They obviously now it takes longer to potentially stabilize the asset. Um, on kind of the developer front where we might have seen developers building um, brand new construction, getting things entitled. A lot of them have switched just because it's it's less expensive right now just to buy recently completed product than go through and do it yourself. So we're seeing a lot of them buying, you know, product that is either fully entitled or potentially just, you know, went online a year or two ago um, because they, you know, don't have to go through the brain damage or the entitlements, which many cities have even more red tape to get things approved and they're taking longer. And then obviously just the labor costs and, and the you know material costs are, are so high with the inflation we've seen recently. Yeah, in, in terms of development, you mentioned some of the big hurdles being the time to get permits processed, entitlements processed, and uh, construction costs. Um, and are you seeing other hurdles like uh, issue of uh, labor supply, um, long lead items? Um, supply chain interruptions, any other issues affecting development? I mean, I think overall, like supply chain has gotten better. So we've seen improvement on that. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that could be contributed to the developments have slowed down. So there's not quite as much demand on the supply chain as there was, let's say, in the previous 24 months. Um, but in, in relations to just, um, you know, overall entitlement process and timing, 
there, there still, you know, tends to be this trend of trying to have a large percentage for affordable housing. Um, so that player was prevalent who was trying to kind of get higher density, get more units to try to meet those needs. But we've seen some interesting news in recent months, in particular to um, San Francisco, where they're actually kind of trying to pull back a little bit on those in lieu fees and even potentially the requirements of how much percentage has to be affordable because they just made it so extreme where deals weren't penciling. So mm-hmm. people just weren't building and they were sidelining. And I don't think they want that, obviously. So um, hopefully cities will be reasonable and realize that these aren't all nonprofits that are building and people need to still make profit. Um, and, and this is, you know, just general business practice. So um, and, and it will hopefully encourage people to, to get back in the mix and start building again. But um, particular cities made it extremely difficult to you know, make profit. If you have such a high percentage of affordable, you're literally losing, you know, maybe 30, 40% per door that you have to make affordable. And, and that just eats up all, all your profit. And people can't build for, for, you know, being in the red. Yeah. Yeah. Um, besides the affordable housing issue, how about um, any other types of changes that you're seeing in the type of product that is being developed now? I mean, I think definitely, you know, higher percentages of, um, you know, residential units. Um, obviously, office is, you know, being looked at a lot more carefully. I think I'm, you know, obviously not an expert off in office. I'm multifamily. However, we're seeing in office a lot of kind of smaller spaces. People are are liking better. So potentially not such large office projects. Um, and then just a good mixed use component, you know, restaurants still t- tend to seem to be strong and, and there's demand there. So we're seeing res- restaurants and then kind of trying to create a, a community environment. Um, if it be, you know, parks, restaurants, um, kind of, as we know, kind of a work live environment. So th- those are the projects that are still very prevalent in the, in the Bay Area. Great. Um, how about, um, Price uh, per door pricing um, across the Silicon Valley. How are you seeing that um, change um, in the second half of the year? Yeah, I mean, it's changed pretty fast. I mean, you know, certain buyers um, and sellers, you know, they obviously there was a big spread or a big gap in kind of what they're asking for versus maybe what the buyer was bidding. So we're, we're seeing um, a lot of sellers coming down to kind of meet the market. Um, a lot of that's contributed to that the debt coverage ratios on maybe other properties they own just aren't covering. So with, you know, a lot of these loans that went adjustable and the rate might've come up three in some situations, 400 basis points, they're, they're having to pay down their loans. So in relations, getting back to your question on a price per door, we're seeing probably class A, you know, maybe five to 700 K class B. I mean, this is obviously more on a kind of a macro across the board in the barrier but maybe low side about 350 to 450K. Um, and then obviously like Palo Alto, Menlo Park, those would those would maybe be another 50 to 100K higher. Um, and then Class C, you know, East Bay, we are still seeing some deals in the 250 door range, um, upwards of as high as 400 in areas like San Mateo, San Carlos, or, you know, Sunnyvale. And then Mountain View, we're seeing a lot of, or I closed two deals in the last month in Mountain View, both of them right around 400K a door. That'd be class C product. Um, so you mentioned um, how um, 
lending in that is is affecting um, the market. But how about um, distressed selling? Are you seeing much of that in multifamily? Um, I'm not, fortunately, not seeing that because I don't want to see that. Um, you know, people, especially my client base, are, are tend to be high net worth, have multiple assets, larger portfolios. So just kind of restructuring of their portfolio. Um, as I said, you know, some of these rates came adjustable. That might have been five-year fixed. Certain banks, as we know, have completely dropped out, um, like First Republic, who was extremely active um, with my client base in doing, you know, probably one in two of our loans is, you know, obviously now it's become Chase. However, the rates really have come up. They've become more conservative. So we're, we're seeing people sell um, to pay down other refinances. Um, I've seen that happening a lot this year. And then um, they they basically restructure their loans, try to get a, you know a, a fixed term. But I think not necessarily the really long. I think people are still a little bit concerned about maybe locking in a yield maintenance prepay on a ten year because they're hopeful that you know with maybe an election year coming up, the rates might come back a little bit. Um, the very likely we'll see more increases unfortunately this year. But then hopefully you know hopefully they'll pull back in the you know following. 12 to 18 months. So uh, any other macro drivers that you see affecting the multifamily market? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, talking about vacancy, vacancy is still low. So it's a strong product. People always need a place to live. Um, so I think that that has still encouraged people in multifamily. But I mean, the, just the interest rates, I mean, we're, we're definitely seeing, you know, if there's an assumption in play, people are looking at that a lot more. Um, people are looking at um, seller carries is a lot more prevalent. Um, you know, people are that are maybe otherwise would have been doing 1031 exchanges. We're seeing some some plays on taking some boot, cashing out some, maybe offsetting that with a cross seg analysis. So they have depreciation to offset some of their gains to kind of pock a little bit more cash. But um, I definitely think that, you know, people are trying to keep more reserves and in, in, in being prepared to potentially have to supplement their mortgages, as well as property taxes, which are obviously two very large expenses that come up, you know, continually throughout the year. Okay. So before we move on to retail, is there anything else that's affecting multifamily that um, you'd like to share with us? Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, potentially, as I mentioned, there's not as much new construction coming online. There's still extremely strong demand for housing across the boards, particularly in the Bay Area. So it's still a, a wonderful product type to, to invest in. I think that people that make moves now could be seeing huge gains in the next four to five years. So I think it's a, it's a great investment opportunity. Obviously, these bank rates are high. But if you look at the potential rent growth and the fact that you could refi in upcoming years, I think there's still great opportunities to make wonderful yield and, and, and potentially steady appreciation in the upcoming years. So I'm very bullish on multifamily investing in the Bay Area and, and think that uh, people should continue to make moves. Great, great. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Lisa. Jeff, um, Jeff let's move on to, to retail. Um, uh, also, how about uh, state of your market and um, how are you seeing Q2 and Q3 play out? Thanks, Lisa. The retail market has been incredibly stable um, through the COVID time, actually going back to, you know, to, to 2020 when everybody had a pause. I think that we've been 
hit and benefited by the uh, work from home strategy. I think in urban cores where office density is really strong, that, that retail has struggled a little bit because of lack of daytime population. On the other hand, all those people that were in office buildings are now at home and they're running out to lunch because they can, or they're running an errand at four o'clock in the afternoon. So retail is actually really surged for the most part throughout the Bay Area, specifically down in the South Bay um, over the last three years. Hmm. And so um, uh, internet shopping, um, that are you seeing not as much of an effect on, on retail? People seem to like being in person again? To do yeah, I think that as a, as a society, we like being in person in general. I think that there is definitely an increase in online shopping um, as evidenced by my front porch. I, I think that what we see, though, is that it's it's a complement to the process. So whether it's how many times do I go into a Starbucks and order anymore versus I know where I'm going, I order on the app, I pick it up. I'm still I'm still going into the store, but you know, and whether it's Chipotle or Target or Amazon or what have you, um, most of that internet shopping is tied to some type of brick and mortar location. And in general, the brick and mortar stores have seen a benefit to the online shopping. Well, that's that's good to hear. Um, are you seeing um, any other drivers that are affecting retail in Silicon Valley? I, I think the two big drivers are are, are return to work. That's going to be a big driver for areas that are really dependent upon daytime population. Think of, you know, Stanford Business Park. Think of North Sunnyvale, North San Jose, Mountain View, um, Menlo Park, all these places that have large, large drivers. Cupertino, um, as these office workers come back to work, that retail around those are going to do well. On the, on the other hand, what's happened is there's been no development for the most part in, in greater South Bay. There's been some redevelopment stuff started and stopped. But that's driven occupancy way up. It's driven rents up to pre-COVID levels. And so um, it's been a, a challenge for new retailers coming into the market as far as available locations. Hmm. Um, and so with the you mentioned the urban versus suburban um, markets. So some of the urban markets like downtown San Jose, how do you see that playing out in the near future? Yeah, I, you know, again, you, you feel bad for San Jose, Oakland and San Francisco of what's happened during COVID. San Jose, um, I think, is probably on a, a little bit larger trajectory for improving. We've already seen quite a bit of resilience from that downtown core. Anybody that's walked along Santa Clara Street, gone to San Pedro Square for lunch, um, you know, stopped it at, at a coffee shop, gone to Blue Bottle, whatever it is, has seen that that resurgence. Uh, the moment you get two, three blocks outside of that downtown core, things to struggle a little bit. I mean, think to to Adam's point earlier, the amount of development that happened with multifamily throughout the last four, five, six years, a lot of that had ground floor retail. And when you look in and around downtown San Jose, a lot of the retail presence is ground floor retail. That's slowly getting leased. And I think there are a handful of, of new tenants that have opened in downtown San Jose. Um, tenant called Moss Pizza, just take 8,000 feet. Eric's Deli relocated. There's a new axe throwing concept in downtown. So you're seeing a lot of new retailers come into downtown and see the opportunity as how do I get in before everything starts to really go crazy again? So um, plus having a, a school with 35,000 students three blocks away it helps quite a bit. Yeah. Um, are you seeing any trends in, in leasing activity or, you know, offers by, by landlords, concessions by landlords, uh, and how are rental rates going, trends in there? Yeah, the overall vacancy for call it Class A product in, in greater Santa Clara County is just less than 10%. You 
you know, between five and 10% is stabilized for the most part, if you think about that. Um, rents are average rents are just north of $54 a square foot. That's on an annualized basis. Uh, you've got some retail properties, class A doing 70 to $72 rents. That's taking out the malls and some other areas where rents are really, really high. Downtown Palo Alto is at the mid nineties. Um, so I think that you've seen um, really positive um, numbers occurring there. So no, you're not seeing concessions from landlords, really. Um, you're seeing retailers doing fairly well on a sales basis. And so your renewals are fairly strong. Uh, again, that's leading to the lack of vacancy in the market, making it tough on retailers. So um, you had mentioned when we had talked at one point that you're seeing some run, um, new uh, products in the entertainment uh, area of retail. Yeah. And that's yeah. really interesting. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, I think um, retail is is constantly reinventing. Um, so take a, a tenant called Flight Club, right? It's a, it's a dart-based uh, restaurant concept. Or take uh, axe throwing. Who would have thought that it's a good idea to throw axes and drink at the same time? But there's a new one in downtown San Jose called Axe Ventures. Um, miniature golf, right? Miniature golf, I thought, went the way of AstroTurf 20 years ago. Putt Shack and all these new tenants are coming back and doing um, deals. Again, another one in downtown San Jose. Um, so you're seeing a lot of what they call entertainment. What can you do while you're eating and drinking and socializing? And I think that if we were to look back five or six years, food halls were a great way to go out and socialize and just be around people. And then food halls started adding well, what can we do while people are sitting here? Can they play cornhole? Can they throw darts? Can they do video games? And, and all of those are creating multiple iterations of, of entertainment. Top golf is a great example. You know, anybody who's been to North San Jose and walked in thinking they could get a bay to hit and we're told that it's a two hour wait, um, mm -hmm. understands that there's a ton of demand for people to want to get together, socialize, not necessarily do something super athletic. And then of course there's pickleball, which you know, has, has taken the world by storm. There's you Google pickleball concepts and there's a hundred names that are about as, as kitschy as you can get, you know, chicken and pickle and all these others that are coming. Um, they all need space back to my original point about, you know, where do you put these uses? But yeah, we're seeing lots of that. And then the theater and movie theater industry is the biggest entertainment, the original entertainment, right? Um, movie theater businesses, hopefully the wider strike gets resolved. Movie theater businesses really come back over the last six to nine months with new new movies in the theater. So all in all, I think we're seeing lots of fun stuff in that entertainment category. That's interesting. Um, how about uh, development? Um, what are you seeing um, in terms of maybe some uh, challenges in development in retail? Yeah, I mean, the development challenges are the same across the board, whether it's multifamily, office, industrial, retail. Uh, interest rates are high, costs are still high. Uh, large projects require union wages. Uh, which again, push the cost even higher and scarcity of land. You know, I think we're working on a Costco deal that's public knowledge down in San Jose. That's going to be a, a tear down of a portion of a shopping center and a rebuilt of a Costco with parking on top. Uh, that's an owner user building something. So that's going to get done. Uh, you've got related working on a large project in, in Santa Clara over by Levi stadium. That's going to have to happen in phases to open something up that is massive is, is very difficult to do right now as evidenced by Valco redevelopment, probably being on hold for a little while, right? They're really trying to evaluate how do you afford to build something that is, you know, $2 billion plus. Um, on the other hand, you have seen lots of infill development that's been successful. Valley Fair finished up their development uh, and is, is fairly well leased and lots of fun stuff to do there. Um, West, uh, West, Westgate Mall's got some fun stuff going on. Oak Ridge Mall, 
has done a lot of, I'll call it redevelopment, not necessarily ground up development, um, but ground up development's been very tough. The, the Costco business center over uh, by East Ridge Mall is one of the newer retail projects. Um, but I think it's going to be a little while before we can find the land and justify the interest rates and, and costs for, for we'll, we'll call it spec new development. So how about in the next 12 to 24 months, do you see any of that changing much or anything else affecting development over the next 12 to 24 months? I think that the cost of capital are going to drive a lot of it, right? The, the numbers don't lie. Rents are only so high. Retailers can only afford to pay so much. Uh, when your cost to build and cost of capital is 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 not generating that fair return, it just put on hold for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, you are going to see infill development. You're going to see unique projects. A lot of them going to be tenant driven. Whether you've got an anchor tenant like a Costco or a grocery store or something like that, you are still going to see some stuff done. You're going to see those scale back. So you might see a new grocery store built, but it's instead of being 200,000 square foot shopping center, it may be done in phases. Um, you are going to see new buildings along Stevens Creek or along El Camino or along Blossom Hill Road, but they're probably going to be smaller. They're going to be infill. Um, mm -hmm. So you're going to see that type of product and you're going to see retail continue to, to be a benefit to multifamily where that developer can, can build multifamily and try to do something really creative with the retail, maybe put a Trader Joe's on the ground floor or do a larger tenant. There's an example in LA of Costco being a ground floor tenant in a mixed use project, which is crazy to think about. Um, but I think that you'll see some unique products like that because at the end of the day, there's just too much income and too many people in greater Santa Clara County to not have more, more development. Yeah. So um, what do you um, see in the, um, as um, opportunities um, over the next um, maybe one to two years in retail? Um, oh, from a broker standpoint, I want to lease more space so I can make more money. That's my yeah. opportunity. <laughs> I think from a, from a retailer perspective, it's going to be a, a very cautious approach because you're going to have to really find the right location. The the knee-jerk reaction from a retailer that's being told to grow and open stores, whether you're driven by private equity, you're driven by going public, you're driven by a recent round of equity is, well, okay, I'm not going to get the A space. Let me take the B space or let me take the C space. And, and that's a little bit of a dangerous slope that you got to be really cautious of as a tenant advisor, making sure that they are making that right decision. For my landlord clients, I think that they're, for the most part, they're in the catbird seat. They get to make sure that the retailer they're picking is best in class making sure the terms are acceptable, uh, making sure that I can maybe upgrade some tenancies. Uh, you know, if I lose a party city because they go bankrupt, maybe that's viewed as a good thing. Those are some of the trends we're seeing. David's Bridal going bankrupt, um, some movie theaters maybe closing. Those are all right now viewed as good things that in working with our landlords gives us opportunities in a, in a low vacancy market to really do some, some nice upgrades and possibly enhance the, the financial performance of the asset. Great. So before we wrap up retail, um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about retail or trends that you're seeing? You know, I just think that the reason I'm in retail is you, I'm passionate for retail. You have to be passionate for retail. And so I think people get excited when they see new stuff. And that's what excites me. So whether it's going to downtown Los Gatos and checking out a new store or going up to downtown Palo Alto or going over to Santana Road to check out a new restaurant, um, get out and do stuff. There's lots of new stuff out there. There's lots of new users coming in, whether it's fashion or, or food. Um, the other, I think, big thing that I'm excited about is that uh, there's a lot of new food concepts from every different nationality you can imagine. We've always been a melting pot here in Santa Clara County. But if you think about 
Indian, Asian, Central European, South American. There is every type of food out there that you can imagine. And that's going to continue to be a big trend going forward. That's great. That's exciting. Um, Vlad, are we, do we have any uh, questions in the chat? Yeah, we have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is more sort of uh, kind of a regional question, and um, it pertains to the uh, Westfield Mall in San Francisco. And if there's, I think the question here is whether there's a broader uh, sort of regional impact on, um, you know, an event like that. Yeah. Um, tough, tough issue going on in San Francisco right now, I think. Um that is going back to the to the banks. Uh, there will be a receiver put in place. You know, that mall is unique. They have 300,000 feet of office in addition to all the retail they have there. A lot of folks may not realize that. Um, so you're kind of a, a double whammy of what to do with that market. Um, at the end of the day, you still have a lot of people in San Francisco, a lot of tourism. Uh, it's going to be repositioned. Um, Mayor Breed was just on the news this morning asking the UC regents who were in town meeting to open up a new UC campus in San Francisco, pointing to available buildings. I think creativity like that is going to lead the way. Um, I don't see it as a broader issue. I think that when we look at Valley Fair Mall, we look at Oak Ridge Mall, those are two of the most successful malls, not only in the Westfield portfolio, but in greater um, Bay Area on a sales per square foot basis, on a new tenant basis. Um, there are a couple of malls throughout the market that are just struggling, Stone Ridge Mall, Southland Mall. Um, at the end of the day, those are opportunities. Those are 100 acre properties that are in the middle of Silicon Valley. Um, so I think San Francisco will be resolved over the next five or six years. It's not going to be an easier, cheap process, and it's going to be something interesting to watch. And then we have one more question, which I think is more more related to um, you know activity in some of the you know downtowns of uh, you know across Silicon Valley. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if this one specific question is asking why is Mountain View empty. I don't know how empty it is, but um, perhaps there are uh, some anecdotes or things that you can share that you're seeing across some of these cities in you know Silicon Valley that that have done things well, perhaps that are uh, you know encouraging for for uh, for you and your industry. Yeah, I think when we're looking at niche downtowns, I think the, the peninsula down into the South Bay is probably unique in how many downtowns they have. You don't have as much prevalence of that. So in the East Bay and other places, so Los Gatos, great uh, Willow Glen and San Jose, great. Uh, Los Altos always struggled a little bit, but still fun. Uh, Mountain View was one of the very first downtowns to really push food and beverage in their downtown. You've seen a lot of others maybe say, hey, we want to hold back. Mountain View embraced food and beverage and said, yeah, bring it on. And what you had pre-COVID was a run-up in rents, um, run-up in new tenants. And I think that the, the, the fallout that we see in some food operations or the folks just couldn't stand some of the downturn. If, if sales are down 30 to 40 percent, that's, that's a big hit for a lot of users. I think what you are seeing in downtown Mountain View is turnover. Turnover in retail happens just because it has to. Um, retail is a very fickle business. So I think the Mountain View, some of the vacancies are, are short term. I think when you come up into Menlo Park or you look at downtown Ribbit City, those are both on the rebound. Um, I think that the daytime population in a lot of those downtowns does drive a lot of traffic. Uh, we talked about Google when I first started, you know, and, and some of the other large operators that are near downtown. When the retailers are having to operate with, you know, 40 to 50% less bodies coming by their store every day, something has to give and, and vacancies are the give. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Lisa. That's it from, from me for now. Um, uh, Jeff, thank you. Adam, thank you. And I'll uh, uh, let us switch over to the, to the next group now. Thanks again, Lisa.
Thank you. Okay, I think we have uh, Bart, Andy, and Chip, and we're going to be talking about uh, leasing, uh, office R&D, industrial, and uh, investment sales. Um, Bart, I think you're on mute. There we go. I'm going to um, start off with uh, with leasing. So, um, how do you see the market right now, and um, how is Q2 and Q3 uh, shaping up? Sure. So, I think you could summarize what we see in the market now in a couple couple bullet points. One, there is a tremendous amount of activity in the smaller sector, uh, and historically, it's as high as it's ever been. We've seen uh, over the first half of the year, nearly 85, 86% of the office transactions are less than 20,000 feet. Which is something we've never seen in the past. You know, you, you see higher 40s, 50s, 100s, 200s. And there's just there's really none of those going on right now, or very few number that are out there. Um, and then the other thing that's driving it is the quality. We all have seen it: flight to quality, upgrade to quality, especially in the downsize. Uh, prudent tenants and CFOs, in particular, are more willing to pay higher per square foot rents when they take half the space. They can win. They can give their real estate teams and their employees a better offering in a class A amenity rich environment. So that trend is happening, will continue to happen. Uh, and I think it will carry us through, you know, our recovery, whatever that turns out to be. And then one of the things Chip and I were talking about, too, is you've really seen now a lot more activity. And historically, I think it's as high it's ever been when you when you factor the ratio of tenants in the market now looking for R&D advanced manufacturing, kind of the flex space, not traditional office, maybe not true historic industrial that R&D sectors is active as uh, it's ever been when you compare it to the office. And those are trends that will not stop for the rest of the year. And do you see um, any difference in, in the regions within Silicon Valley? We, we do only because of the product type. So there's fewer of the R&D uh, buildings up the peninsula. So kind of once you get north of Palo Alto, even into Palo Alto, it's harder to find that stock of inventory. Uh, so you see that activity south, you know, the smaller offices are maybe more catered to the peninsula or some of the train districts. You know, you can't find 5,000 feet with amenities, you know, in the middle of North San Jose, as you can find a nice R&D flex building. So it is product driven um, to the most part with, you know, the, the amenity rich markets being catered to the smaller office users and the more traditional flex buildings, North San Jose, some of the Santa Clara, Sunnyvale pockets still, Milpitas, uh, really attracting some of the R&D activity. Great. Chip, um, tell us about industrial and, and how you see the market right now and how Q2, Q3 is shaping up. Yes, uh, industrial market remains strong. Um, the industrial market in Silicon Valley is about 109 million square feet. The vacancy right now is 2.5% and the availability rate is 3.4%. So um, because of the low vacancy, um, rental rates for both Class A and Class B are increasing, and um, we expect that to continue uh, through the remainder of the year and into next year. Okay. <clears throat> Andy, how are you uh, seeing the um, capital markets for um, this year and, and the remainder of the year? Yeah. So, you know, if you look at the capital markets right uh, right now, up and down the West Coast, it's really, uh, uh, especially on the trailing 12 months, it's it's a a, uh, a tale of two two markets. So the Fed started hiking rates uh, last April, right? So 
last Q3 and Q4, those the markets are basically on pause, and rightfully so. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, the rates were uh, were uh, being hiked at an unprecedented rate, so people were just saying, "We're going to pause now. We won't get penalized uh, for pausing." Fast forward into uh, Q1 and Q2 this year, uh, we did see risk capital, especially coming off the sidelines, particularly in the industrial space, in the R and D space, and you know, dare I say, in the office space as well. Now, granted, it's varying degrees of depth of capital there. But we're pleased where the markets are today on the equity side of the equation. There's depth uh, and there's willingness to participate in the markets as evidenced through you know, bid sheets and bid processes where you are getting multiple offers uh, and in many cases, double digit uh, offers. Moving forward um, in, the, uh, in the industrial space, we do definitely see an acceleration of deal velocity on the capital market side. I think there's a recognition on the selling side that there's depth of capital here. Uh, it's giving confidence to sell into this market. And from a financing standpoint on the uh, uh, you know, buyers that are, are financing these assets, uh, the lenders are, are participating in a pretty significant way. On the office side of things, we also see an acceleration of deals. Very different story, obviously, but we're starting to see some real pricing discovery and we'll continue to see some pricing discovery. Uh, a lot of the deals that will be in the market are related to uh, capital stack issues here. So we see that uh, we, we see that uh, accelerated and into 24 and frankly into 2025 as well. Okay. Um, Chip, let's go back to industrial. Um, in terms of uh, leasing, um, how are you seeing um, rates? How are you seeing concessions by landlords? Um, how's the renewal um, market going? Yeah, um, you know, really across the board for industrial, it remains strong. And I think that's because you know, we're a little unusual industrial market compared to an inland empire where it may be driven by a lot of third-party logistics companies servicing, you know, the ports. Um, for Silicon Valley Industrial, we have a host of user groups that are all interested in the same product type. Um, so, um, you know, historically, big tech users have been um, very active in the industrial space um, to do either campus support or kind of next generation black box research functions that they might not be able to do in their multi-story campuses in the 101 corridor. So, the, you know, they're all a little bit slower right now, but, um, you know, that's been backfilled by other user groups who also want, you know, big buildings with high ceilings. Uh, modern fire sprinkler systems and good electrical power. So, you know, those companies would be battery related, next generation battery, electric vehicle, uh, manufacturing um, for a host of different user types, um, next generation energy. And then kind of last but not least would be just e-commerce. We haven't seen as much e-commerce here in Silicon Valley yet other than Amazon, um, but I think we will in the future. So, because there's such a diverse user group looking for the, um, the buildings, it's really um, kept the vacancy uh, low and enabled landlords to you know, push pricing. So, um, and that impacts on kind of the class B where we see a lot of the uh, renewals being done, the rental rates are up dramatically. 
Um, there's really nowhere for those tenants to go. Um, and then the Class A new space um, that has been built has been quickly absorbed. Um, we are going to get some new space in Silicon Valley next year. About 1.8 million square feet is under construction um, uh, from Gilroy all the way up to Fremont. That sounds like a lot of space, but it only represents 1.7% of the building base. So um, it's going to give opportunities for people to expand and consolidate and upgrade, um, but it's really going to have a minimal effect on vacancy. And, and, uh, and so we expect uh, rental rates to continue to increase. Great. Bart, how about the same question when it comes to office and then office versus R&D? I know that you are active in both. Yeah. So I think if you look at the office sector, it's almost exactly opposite of what Chip just mentioned, right? They're, they may be looking at it from a from a traditional market standpoint of being supply constrained. You know, 1% is not a lot, especially when you have the demand that the industrial sector offers. The office is the opposite. Our big users are not there, as I mentioned, at the onset. And some of the historic absorption we've seen over this last decade, you know, from some of the larger tech companies, the Apples, the Googles, the, the Facebook metas, has not only stopped, but it's going backwards. So if you look at just a couple of those, there's three, four million feet of sublease space that is on or will soon be in the market uh, by tenants that used to absorb that kind of space annually. So we're, we're hit with the double whammy of the traditional vacancies are still there. You add in sublease space with a lack of demand, um, you know, we're in for a much different road than what CHIP and the industrial sector is gonna look at as, as you head forward. R&D is gonna be somewhere in between. So if you kind of look at it as Goldilocks or hot, you know, warm, cold, Chip's got the hot side of the, the spectrum. The office guys and gals like us have the cold side and R&D is in the middle and it's warming. It's strong. You know, you can't do some of those black box research projects that Chip initiated or uh, mentioned um, anywhere really but here. And some of them are unique. You know, we've heard about the constraints on power. Um, you know, so the R&D user that needs to go into a heavy powered facility to run their uh, test labs, reduce Q&A or development, those are, you know, the ones being pushed into these R&D industrial buildings and power is gonna win the day on many of these. Uh, with the constraints, both Silicon Valley Power and Santa Clara and then PG&E have across the market, you know, if you have power, you've got a good position um, and it's only a matter of time before someone will show up. You don't have power, you're not a many rich base, even in the R&D sector, you're still gonna struggle, um, but not as bad as the office and, and, and nearly not as, uh, not as healthy as the industrial. Okay, um, Andy, let's go back to you. Um, some of the macro trends that may be affecting the capital markets, like uh, return to office, um, how that might be affecting things, other trends that you might be seeing that affect the capital markets? Uh, yeah, well, look, there, there's um, kind of move, moving forward, uh, we do see uh, trends like uh, on the capital side of things, uh, you know, more new entrants into the markets, for example, right? So, um, so high net worth, exotic sort of buyers, high net worth families, uh, family offices, uh, entering into the markets as well. So that's, you know, one of the, one of the trends that, that we're following, uh, very closely, um, on the land side of things, on the industrial side of things, we're starting to see uh, uh, more active bidding there as well. Uh, land, you know, in yeser markets was trading at ninety or a hundred dollars a a land foot. 
Uh, now we're seeing, re- you know, folks recognizing that, you know, there's a significant discount there. The fundamentals do support uh, those uh, those developments. So we're seeing a uh, an uptick in uh, an uptick in activity there as well. So um, yeah, and and so uh, we continue to see that you know that the as as these markets start developing, we're seeing more data points in the market. There's more comfortable around uh, pricing, as particularly in the office sector. We just see that that the uh, capital flows will continue to to accelerate here as we go into second and third quarter. Um. Andy, when uh, we were talking, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you, we were seeing the recalibration of um, some areas of the market. And um, how do you see that perhaps playing out in the next year? Well, look, in, in the industrial sec- uh, sector, we just see uh, the, the game continue to be pl- played out, right? So, um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, on the pricing in the industrial sector, we do, are seeing bifurcated pricing. Okay, so we, you know, on uh, historically, uh, the bid sheets used to be pretty much all uh, uh, hanging out at the top of the bid list. Now we're seeing that there's definitely a, a, a bifurcation in pricing, and so uh, the pricing really being uh, today is being uh, driven by unlevered buyers, low leverage buyers. Uh, uh, buyers that are okay with short-term negative leverage, uh, as well as buyers that are, you know, uh, holders uh, in, into perpetuity. Uh, so, uh, so we'll continue to kind of we we do think we're going to continue to see those trends as well. On the office side of things, yes, there's a definite recalibration there, and I think that's a a recalibration that is significantly uh, more pronounced. So. Uh, what we're currently seeing right now is that, uh, particularly in urban nodes on the multi-tenant office side, uh, there are going to be a a uh, a rash of data points coming out of the market, basically resetting uh, the basis significantly. Capital investment into the office buildings and uh, investors will have the um, will have a a basis advantage to be able to capture those tenants. Uh, that are in the market offering good class A space at at highly highly competitive rates. So that's going to take a while. That recalibration is probably going to be a three to five year phenomena. So, uh, Chip, I'm going to jump back to you. Um, what do you see as some um, opportunities in industrial over the next year or two? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think. Uh... Just kind of echoing some of the things Andy said on the on the hurdles, right? The um, increase in interest rates um, has a direct uh, effect on land values, right? So land values go down when interest rates go up. So um, now we have a number of sellers on the sidelines who don't want to accept less for their land, right, than they were able to get a few years ago. So as Andy pointed out, you know, we're kind of reconciling that a little bit. I think going forward. Um, as Bart mentioned, uh, power continues to be a huge problem, and um, I don't know what the resolution will be there. Um, so, but if you have a a site um, that you're able to retain uh, high levels of power service or obtain pa- high level of power service, you're going to be really desirable for kind of every user group. 
um, going forward. So I think that's a, a big opportunity. Um, and then we've seen in a, in a few projects um, where we've sold uh, functionally obsolete office slash R&D buildings um, and repositioned to new advanced manufacturing buildings. And I think um, that trend will continue. Um, you know, some of our buildings that were built uh, 70s or 80s uh, that have low clear height and, you know, not much glass line or don't have amenities We'll continue to see those projects get redeveloped to uh, to new, more modern industrial. How about you, um, Bart? In terms of uh, opportunities and office and R and D over the next year or two, you know, I think it's going to continue to be very focused on those very high end, class A, amenity rich solutions. You know, if you're not in one of those, you should start thinking about what what to do with your asset, especially if you're facing some nearer term vacancy. You know, we hope that, you know, the analogy of going down the Olympic ski hill on one of the ski jumps, we're heading down pretty fast. We're not yet at the bottom, but when we do, we expect like we've seen in the years past or in the cycles past, I should say, to come back up with a pretty good pop, right? We may not fly hundreds of meters like the Olympians, but we've seen it in the 2000 cycle. We saw the great financial crisis. Uh, we even saw a little bit out of COVID. So it's a matter of trying to position where your asset is relative to those factors and how you change those. Uh, and the ones that are going to win are the ones that have the vision and the timing to do it and the capital to, to either invest in, to upgrade or carry through this time. But it's going to it's going to take a little while and some tough guts to get through it. Hey, Andy, how about you? Um, what do you see as uh, opportunities in the capital markets over the next year or two? Uh, well, look, uh, I think one of the, the, the best opportunities that we have seen in recent times I alluded to earlier is really. Uh, industrial land entitlement. Again, it wasn't that long ago where uh, uh, land was uh, effectively almost, uh, you know, like I said, close to $100 a square foot. So we anticipate continued um, uh, a good uh, fundamentals on the leasing side, on the demand side. Uh, Silicon Valley, the 880 quarter, have always been, you know, the infill markets from a supply standpoint, always... Um, have, have remained healthy and we into the foreseeable future, we think they, they will remain healthy as well. So uh, on land development, for sure on the office side of things, you know, not to state the obvious, but you know, uh, pricing has been discounted quite significantly. It's highly opportunistic at this point. It's not for everyone at this point. It's extremely risky. We're dealing with a myriad of issues and CBDs and the work from home phenomena, but we do believe those entities that will invest in in that sector today uh, will will profit from it and will do very well over the long term. Great. As we start wrapping up this section, um, Chip, is there anything else in industrial um, that you'd like to share with us? Uh, no. Um... You know, fortunate that uh, the demand continues to be there. And um, I think, uh, as Andy indicated, I think in the future, there will continue to be opportunity in the industrial sector. Great, great. How about how about you, Bart? Anything else that you'd like to share with us in the office and R&D arena? No, and, and I don't want to sound too negative. I mean, there's some some nice things happening. If you look at the trends of the return to work, which I uh, I believe is going to be the biggest driver for the office sector. It's not some of the fundamentals. Interest rates will help 
the ownership side, but ultimately values are driven by tenants and demand for space. And right now with this hybrid work from home uh, model that everyone's still trying to figure out is, and, and no one's really looked at it, you can see trend lines and we've tracked it. And if you kind of look at where they started and where they are today, people are trending back towards the office more than they have, you know, probably by the tune of four to one, five to one. If you look at some of the big public companies and their announcements. So that's where, you know, optimistically it could come faster if these executives decide to return uh, their teams to the office, demand that they're there three, four days a week. Uh, you'll see an acceleration of that. And hopefully it dovetails with some uh, reductions in some of this interest rate constraints we've seen in the capital side. So capital is freer to flow. They can acquire assets. They can uh, provide fundamental capital allowances that we need to build out some of these A minus assets into A plus. But ultimately, it's going to be driven by how quickly people come back and where that demand comes from. And right now, it's going to be between, you know, or inside the boardrooms of these larger companies directing people back to, to lead us forward if we're going to come back quickly. Thank you. Andy, um, how about you? Anything else in the capital markets that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, well, well, look, uh, we continue to be uh, bulls uh, in the Bay Area in general, right? Especially in the technology markets. Uh, don't need to go uh, into, okay, why this is such a fantastic place to invest in. I think everyone understands the education, the VC, the, the, the depth of the technology jobs, uh, et cetera. And if you look at the, uh, the preceding cycle, you know, that was a 12 year run that was up into the right. Okay. Today it's, a, uh, uh, today is obviously a, a different environment, but nonetheless, as interesting, if not more interesting, uh, there, there seems to be a fair amount of inefficiency out there. And these are the sorts of environments that we need, and they do happen on, on a periodic basis. So I think right now in the Bay area, uh, on the capital market side, there's a thesis. I mean, there's a wide degree of variance. There's a lot of opportunity. You can play the extreme or uh, the extreme opportunistic game. Uh, you can play the single tenant uh, credit game. You can play the industrial game uh, in in multiple profiles. And so, uh, I think there's this is this is a really exciting time. I think folks are going to do uh, very well in in this upcoming cycle. Great, great, thanks. Um, Vlad, do we have uh, questions in chat? Yeah, we have a couple of questions, and I would also like to invite Jeff and Adam back because I have a couple of follow-up questions for them as well while while they're coming back. Um, uh, Andy, I have a quick uh, quick question for you. You were involved in a couple of uh, you know transactions here in the last couple of months. Um, what did you see in terms of interest from uh, investors, and uh, you know did, did that surprise you, both positively or you know negatively? Um, you know, not trying to sort of, you know, ask you things you can't share, but more from just kind of a general interest in the number of, you know, bidders and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, we were working on, you know, some office R&D, some industrial as, as well. And so, uh, for us, uh, it's fortuitous that we're working on really, uh, the right profile of assets that, that do trade in this environment. Uh, in hindsight, I, I, I can't say uh, I was, I was uh, very surprised over the depth of, of capital. Mind you, uh, as we just discussed, Q, Q3 and Q4 were really, those markets were more or less frozen. So there's a pent-up demand. There still existed that depth of capital that frankly really uh, needs to be deployed. So we were, we were pleased it did come off the sidelines uh, and was willing to make some bets here in the barrier. 
I tell you where we were surprised though, it, is how quickly it, it really started ramping up. Uh, and I, I think it, if you go from, it, it really started ramping up in February, January felt a lot like the fourth quarter. And then in February, all of a sudden we just started, saw, we just started see, seeing groups re-enter the markets uh, and, and make some investments. So uh, not entirely surprising. Yeah, and Andy, I think you made this point where we had a conversation that that it was sort of a different market pre-January and kind of post-January, right? In terms of, um, you know, just in terms of interest rates and sort of how the market felt in general. Uh, do you have any additional color about that? Um, uh, just overall kind of thoughts uh, on interest rates or what the mood is today? What what what, what the mood is and what what it means for uh, investors. Yeah, well, listen, especially on the, in the on the institutional side, right? Uh, when there's so much uncertainty, like we did see a second half of last year, institutions generally like to see trends. They want to see data points. They want to see pricing discovery, right? So it's safe to say right now across most product types and most profiles, we're seeing exactly that. So it's it's we know what the landscape looks like. You know, the only question is for an investor is, okay, is that where I want to play? Is that the geography? Is that the risk profile or not? So very, very different environment uh, currently than, than we had seen in second half of last year. Yeah. Uh, uh, for our audience, I have a couple of more uh, uh, follow-up questions. So we'll, we'll go over uh, just a few more minutes if, uh, if for, for those of you that uh, have to leave, this is recorded. So you can certainly come, come back and listen to it. Uh, you know, one 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 more time for for Bart and for Chip. I have a quick sort of follow up question about renewals and what are you guys generally seeing there? Um, is there a trend? Is there some kind of a you know an indication of what it what it means for the for the market? Uh, Bart, maybe we'll start with with you. Start with me. Yes. Yeah. You know, on the office side, it's the wild west. Um, you know, we have been working with tenants. Their landlords have expressed initial positions that have drastically changed during the process. I think there's a mindset if it's short term, there's almost no rules. You know, people are looking to get over this hump, whatever, whatever, and however long that will be. Um, so, you know, it's hard to get a lot of concessions on short term renewals. Tenants are also interested in flexibility, so they match well. So, a lot of times you'll, you know, look at the market, you'll assess it, you'll try to understand and prove, prove out either theories in the executive boardrooms around where the market should be or is. And ultimately, it comes back to a short-term extension just because it gives everyone some comfort that they're not making longer-term decisions. Landlords committing to longer terms when they believe maybe the markets will improve. Tenants not making long-term decisions when they're yet uh, not clear on their return-to-work plans and their ultimate demand for space. Um, so you're seeing a lot of those. The ones that are certain, you know, infrastructure embedded, uh, high fixed costs to relocate, you know, call it in the lab sector. You're seeing those tenants, you know, get pretty good deals. Landlords are trying to fight back terms as short as they can go, which is, you know, not what we've seen in, in cycles past when the markets are hot. Just for the idea that we can get to another another shot at market economics in two, three, four years, not five, seven, ten, uh, which you've historically seen. And Chip, how about you? Yeah, I think on the industrial side, uh, you know, the the new Class A building stock is all really new, so we really haven't had much rollover in leases yet. Um, on the Class B older industrial product, um, landlords are reluctant to engage with tenants too soon, um, too early, because the rents are going up so fast. 
Um, and I think landlords are also, in some cases, depending on location and the product type, you know, willing to do a shorter lease term because just like Bart, Bart mentioned, um, you know, the expectation is rents will continue to go up. So we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll, hey, we'll do a two or a three year deal now because I know I'm going to get a, a you know more than a market increase. Well, when it should, right? you, you've seen annual increases, which has historically been, you know, 3%, let's call it, as is the most common now higher, four, four and a half even. It, yeah. And even those don't even pace what you guys have seen, right? 10% annual increases. So to that end, again, the opposite of the landlord, you know, market lows, hoping they can come back. Landlords are like, we're, we're, we're outpacing even what we've put in leases. Why would I do something long-term and restrict myself from getting another bite at the apple in two years when it's gone up 15, 20%? 15, 20%. Yeah. And the, and the tenants, right. Come early and they want to, you know, lock in a renewal early now. Um, which is a good strategy if you have a landlord that's willing to do that. But in most cases, the landlords are going to say, you know, I'll call you back in six months. Let's wait and see. Um, Adam and Jeff, if you guys are still on, um, I have a couple of questions for you guys. Um, Adam, I have one for you specifically uh, about the cap rate range for class B and uh, C apartments uh, across Mountain View and uh, West San Jose. Yeah, I mean, we quickly saw this come up about 100 basis points. So, um, you know, probably right now, it, again, it depends on how much of an add value play it is. But if it's somewhat stabilized, um, you know, potentially a five or a little bit north of a five right now, um, we, we're, we're definitely seeing pushback um, sub five, you know, unless there's two or 300 basis points of upside. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, uh, Bart, I think this is for you, uh, regarding, um, R and D in the physical improvements and additional dollars, what is needed to go from traditional R and D to high end R and D product. Bart, did you hear that question? Bart, can you hear me? I, I, I did not. I, I glitched there for a second. What was that? Uh, so the question was regarding R&D and in the physical Im, Im, improvements and additional dollars, what is needed to go from traditional R&D to high-end R&D? Well, case by case, but I think if you look at some of the buildings that we, we define in that sector, right, not the brand new ones, but those 10, 20, 30, 40-year-old single two-story flex buildings, uh, power is one. We, we have challenges with those. I saw a question about how tenants are addressing, and it's really all hands on deck. Do what you can. Uh, there's task force going all the way up to the governor to set, um, plead to direct infrastructure resources to try to boost grids, provide PG&E with whatever we can do to help them deliver the power these tenants need, these landlords need to, to build these facilities to keep the R&D here. Um, you know, other things you can do, some are not really tenable or, or uh, realistic. Clear height, you know, smaller clear height buildings, the 16, the 18s need to be 20, 22, 24 for some of these new advanced R&D um, uh, functions. Uh, and it's really just a general upkeep of some of these buildings that have been able to be the low cost leader, but now they need to be, you know, they really need that investment. It's time. Infrastructure, you know, all the all the typical fire life safety, you know, sometimes sprinklers aren't even, um, you know, up to snuff. So replacing sprinkler systems. So all just the core infrastructure that you see in that new building stock which is now the comparison set for these tenants. You know, it's not uncommon for a tenant to go in what looks like an industrial office or a warehouse building because it's, you know, 
it's up to code, it's brand new and it's got power. And even if it has 30 feet, it doesn't bother them, right? What bothers them is 16, 18 feet when they need 20, 22 or more. So it's really just putting money into these older buildings to get them up in a competitive nature of what you're seeing being built in this advanced sector. Yeah, and then my la last follow-up question, uh, 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 Chip. I think this is this is for you, um, and it piggybacks off of what Bart was just talking about. Power here. Um, what can owners do to solve this power problem, uh, other than <laughs> complain to the governor? I suppose at this point. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I think we definitely are going to need some governmental uh, intervention to kind of straighten this problem out. I think. Um, you know, for the tenants, uh, uh, you know, we're just advising tenants. You got to be early, early, early in your process, right? It's going to take a long time. And if you're trying to consolidate uh, two or three buildings, um, you know, starting two or three years ahead is not a bad idea now, um, just because it could take you a year to 18 months to get your power upgraded um, between PG&E uh, and the supply chain issues. Uh, so, um, you know, start early. Um, that's, I think that's just the best advice. I appreciate that. Well, Lisa, thank you for doing a wonderful job moderating the panels here. I really appreciate it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for all your contributions. Uh, Alliance Roofing, Hopkins Carly, thank you for being uh, great sponsors of this event once again. And uh, to our audience, thank you for joining us and uh, have a great rest of the week. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.